In an essay entitled The Kingdom of God, from an Erdman's Reader in Contemporary Political Theology, Walter Rauschenbusch, I hope I'm saying that right, pronunciations are one of the biggest casualties of a mostly online seminary education. Anyway, Rauschenbusch says this, When the doctrine of the kingdom of God shriveled to an undeveloped and pathetic remnant in Christian thought, this loss was bound to have far-reaching consequences. We are told that the loss of a single tooth from the arc of the mouth in childhood may spoil the symmetrical development of the skull and produce malformations affecting the mind and character. The atrophy of that idea, meaning the kingdom of God, which had occupied the chief place in the mind of Jesus, necessarily affected the conception of Christianity, the life of the church, the progress of humanity, and the structure of theology. End quote. Rauschenbusch goes on to list the consequences of the loss of the centrality of the kingdom of God ideal. I'll just offer a few. It's worth noting that most of what follows are quotations. Rauschenbusch noted that the distinctive ethical principles of Jesus were the direct outgrowth of his conception of the kingdom of God. Also, that when the kingdom ceased to be the dominating religious reality, the church moved up into the position of the supreme good. The kingdom of God can never be promoted by lies, craft, crime, or war. But the wealth and the power of the church have often been promoted by these means. Rauschenbusch observed that when the kingdom ideal disappeared, the conscience of the church was muffled. That secular life is belittled as compared with church life. Services rendered to the church gets a higher religious rating than services rendered to the community. And finally, he observed that theology has been deprived of the inspiration of great ideas contained in the idea of the kingdom and in labor for it. The kingdom of God breeds prophets. The church breeds priests and theologians. End of quotes. In other words, perhaps the problem to be explored this week is not that enough people aren't making a claim of certainty like Jesus is king, but rather the problem is located in questions like, is there a particular set of values in such a kingdom? And what might the world look like if Jesus actually were supreme ruler? In other, other words, if Jesus is king, what in the world is going on right now? I'm Anthony Mako. Welcome to Postmodern Liturgy. Postmodern liturgy exists in a couple different forms. This podcast is a chance to reflect on the weekly readings in the liturgical calendar the week before they actually occur. So this podcast comes out on Mondays and uses the readings for the following Sunday. 
Our distinctive is that we try to apply a variety of postmodern lenses to the text, especially offering space for deconstruction and doubt. I also write and record all the music specifically for this podcast. You can engage in more material at postmodernliturgy.com. You can follow us on social media at Postmodern Liturgy on Facebook and Instagram and at PM Liturgy on Twitter. And if you're so inclined, you can join our wonderful group of supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash postmodernliturgy. With all that being said, it's actually been quite a while since we've been following the liturgical calendar. I just finished a five-part series on creation care that I'm pretty proud of, so I would encourage you to check it out if you haven't done so already. Normally, you could just hop into the podcast on the current week, so you'd be aligned with the liturgical calendar, but if you check out the creation care series, you would want to start with episode one, because they follow an intentional trajectory. One more bit of business before we get back to the topic for the week. Last week, I announced my annual Pacific Northwest trip, which will take place in late May of 2020. I was actually a little shocked with the amount of people who have already signed up. I actually don't think I've said this yet, but unless I have a reason to drastically change the structure of the trip, I pretty much need to cap the number at 13 or 14 people. It's just better with a smaller group, but also I'm not allowed to drive a large bus. I'm bringing this up because with... The signups that have already happened, the trip is potentially over half full already. At some point before the end of the year, there'll be a deposit to hold your spot, but I'll certainly take the order in which you signed up into account if I have to limit the spots. Technically, signing up now doesn't commit you to anything, but it does get you on the list to receive a lot more information, so I don't have to subject everyone to it. So if you're interested and want to see more about the trip, Then go to postmodernliturgy.com and click on the Experiences tab, and then click the Pacific Northwest 2020 trip link to sign up. Okay, back to the topic at hand. As I mentioned, because of the Creation Care series and because I had to take a pretty long break in the middle of the Creation Care series, we haven't been on the liturgical calendar for quite a while. We're back on it, though. This week is Christ the King Sunday. This episode is called Christ the Queen. I'll explain in a bit. I have my reasons. But first, let's hear the readings for the week. Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 6. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares Yahweh. 
Therefore, this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares Yahweh. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares Yahweh. The days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, Jehovah our righteous Savior. Chapter 46 God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. God lifts God's voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations God has brought on the earth. God makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. God breaks the bow and shatters the spear. God burns the shields with fire. God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress.
Colossians 1, verses 11 through 20. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the divine parent who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. God has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might have come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to God's self all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Luke 23, verses 33 through 43. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus. There with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leader scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him, saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise.
In the reflection this week, I want to hop around a little bit. While they're fresh in your thoughts, I want to make some observations about each text. And then I want to explain the whole Christ is Queen thing. And after that, I want to attempt to weave together the texts as we explore the idea of the kingdom of God. Let's start with this. Back when I first offered the nuance around the whole capital L-O-R-D tetragrammaton thing, several of you reached out to say you really enjoyed knowing that. Although I think some of you just like saying tetragrammaton, but that's fine. Here is actually step two in that process. You heard me read from verse six in Jeremiah that the name of Israel's savior would be Jehovah. Well, ancient Hebrew texts don't have vowels. So Yahweh is yod Hey vav Hey. Those are the letters. Well, guess what the consonants are if you take out the vowels in Jehovah, which weren't noted in ancient Hebrew. yod Hey vav Hey. In other words, the name Jehovah is something akin to a typo, or better said, reading vowels into the text that weren't originally there. But also, it would have been okay to say Jehovah, whereas one should not say Yahweh. I brought that up because it's sort of fun to know, but also in this passage, Yahweh says Yahweh is coming to save Israel. Some people say this points to Jesus, which is certainly interesting given the approaching season, but I don't want to go that far here. The function of the passage in the liturgy this week is to show Judah and Israel's failure to realize there's a kingdom at play that exists beyond their own kingdoms. Israel and Judah have failed to listen. They have oppressed the alien, the widow, the orphan. They have shed innocent blood. Much of the preceding chapters in Jeremiah dealt with this topic. But here we learn that despite a failure to notice, the kingdom of God still exists and Yahweh will come to offer another chance. Psalm 46 offers an incredible peace in the midst of danger. Interestingly though, the passage has three distinct sections. As Erdman's commentary points out, the first section is very much about bringing order to chaos, sort of in a cosmic sense. The second section describes political unrest. The nations are in uproar. Finally, the third section is more personal. Essentially, God is an almighty warrior. But wait, the culminating descriptor of this warrior is one who brings peace? This seems like the right place to break away and talk about the title of this week's episode, Christ the Queen. It just so happens that recently I have heard a lot of people talking about deconstruction. But the way I've heard it described is in a way that strongly relates it to anger, sadness, maybe depression, etc. While it may be true that some of these postures are initiators of deconstruction, when we talk about deconstruction as a spiritual formation practice or as a philosophical construct, it has to supersede these. Namely because if you only deconstruct when you are hurt or sad, when you when you end up feeling fine, you will be far less likely to live the examined life. Furthermore, if deconstruction is only linked to anger and sadness, then it seems to reason that each time you deconstruct, you will have to become sad or angry. Speaking personally, it is absolutely true that most of my initial deconstruction was the result of sadness and anger. And to be clear, 
I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong or shameful about these emotions, but now deconstruction is an exciting and joyous practice for me, which makes me more likely to engage in that practice. Deconstruction is probably always uncomfortable, but the result is often growth. Here's why I think deconstruction is essential to this week's topic. We're dealing with a lot of metaphors, layers and layers of them. And we can't allow these metaphors to skew our understanding of the kingdom of God. What we mean by the kingdom of God is the way God continues to keep chaos at bay, the way God cares for humanity, the way God limits the power of darkness, whatever darkness means and the way God will ultimately bring justice and reconciliation to all things. But as soon as we apply a metaphor to this process, we've applied some things that may be true about it, but we've also applied some things that are probably untrue about it. Here are some examples. When we say kingdom, we generally think of a system of governance, but at that point, we are bound to simply think of the best example we've ever seen and maybe say the kingdom of God is a little bit better than that. This is especially troublesome if you, if you happen to live in a country that calls itself the greatest country in the world. When we say God is an almighty warrior, we can't just think of the strongest warrior we've ever seen and say God is stronger than that. And when we say Christ is king, we probably mean that Christ is the ruler of the cosmos. But we shouldn't use that to assume that stereotypically masculine characteristics are superior to stereotypically feminine characteristics. In reality, the cosmic Christ is neither male nor female. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph, wasn't male. I'm even not saying that God didn't become incarnate in a male body. It seems reasonable to me that with the power dynamics of the time, male was the right choice. I'm saying that we have a tendency to reverse engineer our metaphors for God. Your love is like a spring rain. Doesn't mean I'm wet after a hug. This is why deconstruction is helpful. There are probably ways in which a statement like the cosmic Christ is king is helpful. There are also ways it imprisons our conception. Similarly, similarly, there are ways that saying Christ is queen is helpful, and there are ways it's limiting. But let's stop talking hypothetically, because I'm actually not the one suggesting deconstruction. The readings this week are actually full of deconstruction. The passage in the Psalms makes God out to be an almighty warrior, our protector. But when we imagine the most dominant warrior, we imagine someone who wins. The passage in Psalms suggests this almighty warrior's goal is peace. This well-known passage from Colossians, which contains the familiar Christ hymn, shows that this person Jesus is a part of a much larger movement of God. This person, whose purpose we sometimes limit to death and resurrection, was actually present at creation. Not in human form, by the way. In fact, creation was accomplished through Christ, and the order, rhythm, and rest established through Christ in creation. 
will be rejuvenated. And now for the greatest moment of deconstruction. What is the gospel reading for this week where we celebrate the almighty reign of the most high ruler of the cosmos? The one that ensures we remember God died a criminal's death. As we celebrate the reign of God on Christ the King Sunday, deconstruction is fundamentally important so that we can separate the values of the kingdom of God from our desires and our wants. What you want the world to look like may have very little to do with the direction the divine monarch is moving in. In fact, if history is any indicator, the two directions are opposite. We've often heard that the kingdom of God is upside down. So is it really that hard to imagine Christ the queen? Perhaps I should end by stating the obvious. You questioning your perception of the kingdom of God does not shake the foundation of the kingdom of God in the least. You deconstructing your image of Christ has no impact on the actual Christ. On the contrary, it is for the sake of Christ that you and I should tear down our images. And it is for the sake of the kingdom of God that we should question our perceptions of the kingdom of God. I can think of no better way to celebrate Christ the King Sunday than to spend some time in thought and in conversation about how our values, our goals, and our motivations may be different than the kingdom of God. It would also be good to explore the kingdoms we have committed our loyalty to. I'll stop dancing around the edges, using my country as an example that could be applied to whichever country you are listening in. There will be a time because the kingdom of God is not like any kingdom in this world where one will have to choose between being a citizen of America and being a citizen of the kingdom of God. It will happen or it has happened. If nothing else, the deconstruction process can help it be a lot more clear when that point of decision arrives. You see, what we're actually talking about on Christ the King Sunday is the Creator's movement among us to bring about reconciliation to all of creation, to bring about true justice, to show the great mercy of the Creator. We've attempted to put language to that, the kingdom of God, but we know our language could not possibly capture the essence of this movement. And as soon as we say kingdom, some untrue values are placed on this movement of God because it's extremely difficult to imagine something different than we have ever seen. We may be able to imagine a better version of what we've seen, but that really isn't quite right either. So we swim in the tension, continually affirming and rejecting certain tenets, as, and as we do, we catch glimpses of truth or meaning. But meaning doesn't come without the process. And we do all this with confidence knowing our wrestling doesn't impact the trajectory of God. It only molds our perception and makes us more able to cooperate with it. To end this week's episode... I'd like to offer a prayer from Walter Brueggemann's Prayers for a Privileged People. This prayer is entitled Sovereign. We name you King, Lord, Sovereign. 
We trust you, except sometimes we do not. We take matters into our own hands. We fashion power and authority and sovereignty, enforced by law and bureaucracy and weapons. We think to make ourselves safe, and then learn, staggeringly, how insufficient is our product, how thin is our law, how ineffective is our bureaucracy, how impotent our weapons. We are driven back to you, your will, your purpose, your requirements. Care for land, care for neighbor, care for future. We name you King, Lord Sovereign, so undemocratic, and in naming, become aware of our status before you. Loved, sent, summoned. We pray in the name of the loved, sent, summoned Jesus. Thanks for joining me again this week. Next week, we begin our Advent series. I'd love if you would join us online. We are at postmodernliturgy.com. We are at Postmodern Liturgy on Facebook and Instagram and at PM Liturgy on Twitter. I would love it if you would consider supporting our work. For free, you can do that by sharing and rating and reviewing this podcast or financially at patreon.com slash postmodernliturgy. If you visit our Patreon site, you can see several great benefits for our supporters. And don't forget, if you're interested in our Pacific Northwest trip, go to postmodernliturgy.com, click the Experiences tab, and then click the Pacific Northwest trip option, so you can sign up and receive further information. Thanks again for joining me, and enjoy the tension.